millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're a big Charlie XCX fan, right? I am. My girlfriend actually just got me uh, some Charlie XCX merch for Christmas. <laughs> it just showed up. It's like a t-shirt. Yeah. Nice. Just the t-shirt? Or what else did you get merch-wise? Uh, just the t-shirt from, from the Charlie world. It just says how I'm feeling now on the front and then more lyrics on the back. Yeah. I haven't worn it yet, but I will. Where does how I'm feeling now kind of rank in the canon of Charlie XCX for you? It's a pretty good one. I don't know. I think it's one of my favorites. I kind of, yeah. I like all of them. I feel like from Vroom Vroom to like Pop 2, I like that little section the most, I think. And then the the self-titled like big, super like polished kind of pop one came out. That one's okay. And then I like this quarantine one a lot. Yeah, so that's my ranking. And then the one before, all the ones before Vroom Vroom with like the Fault in Our Stars song and stuff. Are like Those are fine. Those aren't yeah. my favorite, but yeah. Did the Black Understands kind of function as a similar statement in your mind in terms of an album similar to how I'm feeling now? kind of just summating where you were at that point in quarantine um kind of and it's funny because the lyrics are basically not any different than any other cloud nothing's lyrics you know <laughs> depressed in and out of quarantine um but yeah it was the, it's the same idea you know you gotta you gotta do something you know it was a weird period of time where it really felt like just the end or something you know so there was had to be something to keep your mind off of a reality did you have anything pre-prepared going into it, or was it all written fresh? No, it was all new stuff. Yeah, just me and Jason, our drummer, would just send stuff back and forth pretty constantly, because um, he still lives in Cleveland, so we just email each other files back and forth. He would play drums and record over my you know, guitar parts that I had sent him. Uh, and eventually we realized, like, well, why don't we just put out an album? You know, nothing is stopping us from doing that. Yeah, so we did. Do you need a deadline to finish your record? Uh, I thought I did, but now it turns out I just need to write a million songs. <laughs> like, well, I don't have anything to do with these. I guess I'll just put them out. Yeah. I used to only think I could need a deadline because I 
Otherwise, I would just make stuff like et- eternally and never decide like this is good and this goes out now. You know, I thought I needed that deadline to go into like a studio and make the album and then put that out. But I don't, I don't necessarily know that I feel that way anymore. Yeah. So was the Black Understands the first record that you'd written that didn't have a deadline and was kind of written in that free space? Uh, I guess so. Yeah, technically. None of them, I mean, none of them have had deadlines necessarily. They've all just been like self-imposed. Like, well, we finished touring the last record so we could stop or I guess we could, you know, record more. Yeah. So the deadline would just be like, I made up that we have to make another record now, <laughs> you know, just for uh, reasons of, you know, I don't want to stop. Yeah. So that's, I guess that's the sense of the deadline in the past. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of get into that rhythm of touring, then you make a record, then touring some more, and then you make a record and it kind of just goes back yeah. and forth for a while. Yeah. That's like the, the job of it. Yeah. So that kind of just felt like the natural thing to be doing for us at least. Does the writing feel different when you kind of remove yourself from that rhythm like COVID has done? Yeah. Um, because I feel like before I would kind of play songs and like styles of songs like into the ground on tour where i sorry to people who've seen us at the end of a tour but like by the end of the tour i'd be like i hate these songs um and then the next record would be like almost a reaction to those types of songs or something you know um but these i'd make them and then i just don't think about them you know i haven't like i don't know if we're gonna play these songs and we definitely haven't played them yet because i haven't even seen everybody um and who knows when i will so it's yeah it's kind of a removal from that process i guess just because i don't know where things are going (laughs) at this point and i feel like i have been writing in the same like mode for a while and it's it's weird to not be tired of it i guess yeah that mode that you're in is that something you like a mode you've experienced before or is this kind of a different new thing um it's just it's a lot more blatantly melodic i feel like some of our stuff is like produced in a way that brings maybe noisier elements to the forefront um but this stuff i mean it's just me plugging a guitar like directly into a computer um so there's not a whole lot i can do with that if i want it to sound anything like a song you know i kind of just keep it pretty clean and straightforward uh so that's like i just keep writing songs that way and you know i haven't stopped you know it'll be i can't really make loud noise where i live you know so i have to do it this way so that's it's kind of a by necessity yeah does that impact the energy of the music uh i think so it's hard to pretend you're like playing in a band when you're just in a room alone um (laughs) i can't really do that uh so i think the stuff is definitely a little less like aggressive it's not as i don't know i'm not like yelling and stuff as much as i was um just because one, I don't want to do that um, in a room alone because I I don't know. I did it. I, there's like one song on this thing I just finished where I was like yelling in the basement trying to record my voice. And I I think I upset everyone. <laughs> so I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. It's weird to not have the, you know, playing with the band. Uh, there's just like a natural, you, you have to turn your amp up loud because the drums are loud and everything, you know, and I have to like sing louder so I can even just hear myself. Um, and not having to do that, I think, brings, yeah, I guess just melodies and stuff more uh, into the picture. What are you, so you're in an apartment block? Or are you? Yeah, it's just like a, like Philadelphia has a bunch of row homes and we're just in like a, a row home. So there's apartments on either side of us. Yeah. Would you say is songwriting almost a muscle then? If you're writing a lot of the minute, do you kind of get into the rhythm of it? And once you start exercising it, it becomes easier and you're just writing every day? 
Um, writing every day as like a practice has become easier. I was doing like a song a day pretty much for a long time. It was interesting just to try to like make a new thing that didn't sound like something I'd already done, you know, like every single day and find like inspiration somehow to keep doing that. Um, but then I, I, I did slow down on that recently cause we got this foster dog, um, and having a dog is at the beginning is like an insane amount of work that I didn't realize. So it's hard to get into like this constant writing mode when like every hour and a half you have to like clean up pee and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Was this the first time you had a dog? It's the first time I've had to take care of the dog, basically. Yeah. I've had dogs growing up and my girlfriend has a dog that I've seen. The dog lives with her mom now. Um, but you know, I've hung out with the dog, but I haven't really had to do much. Um, this is the first like new dog <laughs> experience. Yeah. Was the dog your choice or was it your girlfriend kind of wanting a dog? <laughs> <laughs> um, there was, I think the phrase puppy for Christmas <laughs> okay. was brought of, uh, uh, onto me. Yeah. Um, there is this shelter, the PSPCA, it's like the Philadelphia, it's just an animal shelter up in like Northeast Philly. They had this dog that you know, my girlfriend's friend works there and she kept saying like, you need to take care of this dog um, and it's the cutest dog her name's lavender and she's a little like pit mix um i don't know what the mix is um, but they found her like tied up to a tree in a park oh man and she's missing like the bottom most of her nose basically and some of her like lips and stuff are missing i don't know if you call them lips on a dog whatever you call them um but so she has no nostrils and her breathing is really like it sounds nuts it sounds like a car like backfiring so yeah she they're trying to like do some kind of reconstructive surgery and theoretically we're just taking care of her until they can you know crowdsource enough money to get the surgery done um but i think we're hoping they let us just like adopt her because she's pretty fun to have around yeah yeah you get attached Mm -hmm. yeah very quickly and this is like a it's like having a pokemon this is not like a normal <laughs> dog she just makes like weird sounds all the time it's really funny how long ago did you say you got her? like a month a month ago oh, okay so this is recent yeah yeah it was yeah puppy for christmas <laughs> <laughs> and you moved to philadelphia a year and a half ago but there, Some, there something like that yeah i forget the exact time but yeah how can you move to philly uh well i've been uh dating my girlfriend for like five years long distance more or less the whole time and finally i just decided to shorten the distance <laughs> i got sick of driving like the seven eight hours between cleveland and philly every couple of weeks or something yeah. you can imagine heavy mm -hmm. going yeah it's it's annoying How, have you noticed that kind of impact your creativity being closer together now i don't think so necessarily because i mean especially back before there was a raging pandemic, you know, I would still go to Cleveland pretty often and our drummer has like a big house and I'm, I'm able to kind of, you know, stay and hang out there whenever I want. So it was pretty easy to go back and like getting quickly into the flow of just like, let's make music every day and hang out, you know? So that still was normal. I mean, the big impact on creativity is kind of being more or less locked down, you know, and just having to use the computer to do anything. So was this upcoming record made in philly the shadow i remember was it recorded in philly? well no this one got recorded last february before everything oh, okay. went down um so yeah we recorded this in chicago with steve albini at his studio uh electrical audio yeah last february in like six days 
Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was it was a little much. And by the end of it, even Steve, like we wanted to finish out this very last song, and you could tell he was like, "You guys really needed seven days." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, why why are you making me work till like midnight today? I felt pretty bad, but he did it. He's a good guy. <laughs> are you tracking a lot of that live, or are you kind of doing the parts individually? Um, it's all live except vocals. We once we did all the music, the vocals are, get added at the end. Um, but all the instrumentation and stuff is. I think it's like 100% live. There might be a couple little guitar sounds. And there's piano, actually. There's piano on almost every song. And that was added afterward, too. But, you know, the actual, like, meat and potatoes of the song are live. How long does it take you then to kind of get into the momentum? Because, you know, sometimes I'll speak to bands and they say it takes them a few days when they're in the studio to kind of get into the flow. But I imagine you don't have that luxury if you're only in for six days. Yeah, we just kind of have to be in the flow. Um, so we, I think we just practice a lot before yeah. we go to record if we're doing it in this like live fashion. So you're kind of already like in the flow in a way. Um, and then you get there and, you know, it takes a day to kind of settle in and be like, let's make sure the drums sound good. Let's make, you know, just that first day is just making things sound okay. And maybe you do one song. Um, but once you're, once you're in it, you just kind of, you know, you're there to make the record. So it's not like I... I don't get too distracted. And that studio has like, there's like a TV, you know, but there's not much to yeah. do outside of just sit in the room and be like, let's work on these songs. Yeah. So it's kind of a good place to just focus and get some stuff done. Was there much time for Scrabble this time around? <sighs> no time for Scrabble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, I mean, there's always time to like, you know, fuck around on a phone or something. Yeah. Especially cause you know, you can't, there's downtime, you know, where nothing is really happening. And, you know, of course yeah. you're going to play Scrabble or do whatever um, during that time. Um, yeah, I don't remember any particular electronic fixation this time around uh, during the downtime. I think we just kind of chatted and then we get back to working. And we also, we, we were able to afford like, you know, food <laughs> this time around. So we would talk about what, what should we get for dinner? Yeah. That was like a fun conversation that we didn't get to have last time we worked with Steve Albini. So yeah, that was, that took up some time. Are you always speaking about the music in that downtime when you have those conversations or what sort of chats are you sharing with each other? What are you talking about in the downtime? Just like stupid stuff. <laughs> like nothing. I, I don't even remember, honestly, just like boring stories probably about, at this point we're both people who have or i've been doing this for you know 11 years he's been doing it for much longer but we operate in similar i think ways and uh have just similar outlooks on how things should be so i think we were just chatting about recording <laughs> like bands and i guess it is mostly about music honestly yeah just decompress a little bit in between takes mm -hmm. this is your second time working with him right yeah first one was in 20 I think we recorded in 2011, the first well, one. Yeah, Almost 10 years ago. I know. Had you seen him in the interim? Nope. No? Wow. <laughs> yeah, I think, our, I think our bassist might have emailed him about bass at some point in those 10 years, but that was our only interaction. How do, I mean, when you went back in, did they, was there like a pre-existing relationship to a certain extent? Or Yeah, I think so. It, it felt like that, at least. It didn't feel weird, you know? It didn't feel like there was any... Like we were like meeting someone for the first time again. His the studio looked exactly like I remembered it. He looked the same. <laughs> you know, it was kind of just like, oh, this is this is the same. That's interesting. Different people working there, maybe. Um, but yeah, for the most part, it really 
kind of just felt like stepping into a situation we were already familiar with. Was this the first time you repeated working with a producer? It is. How do you feel that familiarity kind of bled into the process then? If you're going back in and it's something that's maybe not been there before. Um, I think it really helps, um, especially because we were familiar. I mean, the reason we wanted to work with him again is because we liked the process you know, and liked the way he makes things sound and just everything was very comfortable there. So being able to immediately like hop back into that, like, oh, yes, this is what I remember being good from this last time we recorded with him, even though it was 10 years ago, you know, and you think maybe you're just sort of, you know, only remembering the good parts of something, you know, it turns out that, oh, it's actually like this easy <laughs> to make a record with this guy. And he really does kind of immediately latch on to how to make your band sound like your band, you know, playing and that is something that doesn't seem like it should be hard, but I, I think a lot of people have just different takes on what a band should sound like. And for some reason, he's able to just make it sound like exactly like us playing. Um, and I, that makes you comfortable when you know what you're hearing. Yeah. Yeah, it's about trust, isn't it? Yeah. And he's, yeah, he's a very uh, trustworthy fella. Had any of his methods changed at all? Or was he kind of very much still in the same mindset that he was 10 years ago? I think it was pretty similar... I don't really remember any anything particularly new this time around. I do think I I paid more attention probably to the process of like just how he was doing things just cuz the first time around it was sort of it was our first time in a studio, it was our first time working with anyone who was like a, you know, a popular producer. Um it kind of just and I was like I think I was 19 maybe, maybe 19, maybe 20. Um, so that was already like a weird thing to, <laughs> to be that age and be like, I guess we'll record with Steve Albini. Okay. Um, so I think I was just a little freaked out back then and wasn't really, you know, paying attention to things. Um, but this time I would like kind of made a point to watch what he did. Um, and that was, yeah, but I think everything was pretty similar. Do you notice how you've changed more if you're going back into someone that's pretty much still the same, but you've obviously developed as a band in the interim? Do you kind of notice that shift when you're placing yourself back in the same setting again? Yeah, definitely. And like you notice that, it's, I mean, even being in a band on tour, you know, we've played the same room that we played 10 years ago. You know, we'll play it again in a certain city, you know, on our most recent tour or something, you know, and even just being in that room being like, I remember this and I remember how this show went last time. You know, you have all these like things and memories that kind of like feed into like coloring the current experience, even if you know it ends up being completely different you know you can have this certain attitude or something heading into something that might not be justified just because of the way things happened a long time ago by the end of it if things go differently the next time it's you know something to see how you (laughs) might be the thing that has changed rather than the room itself yeah did they still have fluffy coffee at the studio as well there was fluffy coffee i can't drink it as much i was like (laughs) i would think i was like chugging it last time and there was it's like the intern's job to make coffee, um, and it feels so weird to be like, "Can you make me a coffee?" To like a <laughs> college kid, I, I feel it feels bad to me, um, but it's their job, I guess. So I would have one and maybe drink like half of it and just feel sick because it's so much sugar and stuff. And I I kind of stopped like eating that way <laughs> a while ago, but you know you got to have one. How is it different? To, like, what actually is it? How does it compare to normal coffee? What's so special about it? Um, There's just a lot of like maple syrup in it. And it's just like a latte like with tons of syrup in it, I think. 
a lot of sugar. Maybe honey or something too. Yeah, it's just like a bunch of sugary stuff in there. Yeah, it's extremely sweet. It's funny that we're kind of speaking a little bit about memory in the kind of relationship you have to certain places, whether that be venues or the studio or Steve, and the way that's kind of changed in the last 10 years. Because a lot of the music itself too concerns memory. But when you're translating a memory that you have very clearly pictured in your head, as opposed to translating one that's maybe a little bit more fractured to music, does that process kind of differ quite a lot in feeling? I think, the, I guess the music kind of generally has more to do with just like the the concept of memory in a way, rather than specific instances of things happening. Because um, I think, I mean, my memory is terrible. Um, so I think if I was trying to write about, you know, what I did today 10 years ago i would i don't know what the song would be about it would just be like a you know john cage 433 it'd just be silence (laughs) like i don't know what i did so yeah the songs kind of do concern just i guess more what i guess i sort of was talking about just like the idea of how things and places can change and like two people in the same place can have like a wildly different experience of something um just based on their respective pasts rather than anything going on in like the current moment yeah has your concept of memory changed as a result of those experiences and kind of that feeling not i mean not exactly it's just something i've always been like interested it goes along with like being interested in like history or something in a way to me you know just like being able to like be somewhere and think about all the things that have happened in that place leading up to how it is what it is today um or a, a person or a place or like anything um Everything has like a long past to it. And it's, I think, worthwhile to be aware of that and like acknowledge and examine that past um, while being able to also, you know, live in the present. Is that kind of what the opening songs were a bit about? You know, you kind of open on that line, the world I've known has gone away on Oslo. Um, sort of, yeah. That one is, uh, that one's half. This is, it's, it's the only song that I've ever written that is sort of about something else too where it's like half that and also there's a movie called uh oslo august 31st maybe it's like a date and the word oslo is in it and it's just a movie that i watched and i was particularly moved by (laughs) at the time i was also writing this song so the lyrics kind of also play into that it's like a um an ex drug addict who comes out of rehab and just has a hard time adjusting and ends up uh spoiler alert he has a very hard time and he can't he ends up not making it through but uh yeah it was just a really i just really liked that movie so that kind of ended up being in the words too is that where a lot of the kind of dark imagery in that song comes from yeah for the most part yeah and the title i guess does that at all factor into you know on this record you're singing you kind of and you always have you go through a lot of different kind of vocal styles when you're writing a song that's partially about someone else's experience, does that kind of factor into like the, the kind of vocal persona of the song and the way in which you sing it and you deliver it? Yeah, sort of. And I guess just the energy of the song, like that one starts a little, I wanted all the songs on the record to do this, but that one like very obviously does it where it starts quieter and like builds up to this like loud screaming ending or something. Um, so that like just the way the song itself moves, I feel like kind of dictates how the vocal should go in a way. Just because, like, if I started off screaming on that one, it would be upsetting. <laughs> so I think uh, it, it kind of made sense to start with, like, the kind of emotionless droney vocal and, like, let that lead into, you know, things getting a little more emotional and intense throughout. It's kind of a bright opening, though, you know, before the vocals come in when you've just got the piano and then the guitar kind of comes in. 
and then it kind of yeah, it's pretty. Pull the yeah. rug out well, that's like the bit. that's the movie starts that way too. <laughs> you know, it's like the guy's <laughs> he's doing better, <laughs> yeah, and like he's seeing his family, and everyone's like, oh, it's so nice to see you, yeah. And then, uh, you know, things take a turn. Yeah. When did the piano enter the mix on that track? Uh, towards the end. I guess I did all the piano stuff at the end, but I. The one thing I do definitely remember about recording Attack on Memory with Steve a while ago was that I really liked playing the piano at the studio. Um, so there's a p- lot of piano on that record, too. There's just certain little holes in each song that seemed like, oh, piano could go here. It was I kind of knew I wanted piano, but the actual figuring out the parts and stuff just came while we were in the studio. Was piano your first instrument? It was, yeah. I think I took piano lessons for a couple of years when I was in like third or fourth grade i don't know how old a person is at that point very young (laughs) and then when you start the lessons do you kind of carry on playing it yourself and you kind of start to experiment with it in your own way yeah yeah i kept playing piano because we just had a piano at the house um so i would keep playing that um but my piano teacher at the time kind of like forced me to quit basically because i also wanted to learn how to play saxophone and she was like you can only learn one instrument i was like uh okay so i quit um and i also started learning saxophone around that time um and that was like f- fifth grade so i guess i was like i don't know 11 or 12 is maybe how old i am at that point alto saxophone yeah i picked up alto sax in the fifth grade um and guitar around then too actually so my piano teacher probably inspired me to because she was a mean person um so i think maybe i just <laughs> like was inclined to not do anything she said she had a mean little dog we have to go to her house and like avoid her like shitty little dog. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what she's up to now, but hopefully she's nicer. Yeah, I used to play the saxophone as well, and I had a pretty mean teacher. But I look back on it now, and I feel like it kind of drove me in a bit of a way, if that makes sense. Like she was good at motivating you. Yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes I guess sometimes that works. Yeah, my like high school band director was like a pretty mean guy, um, but he we had a good band, so it must have done something. But yeah, my saxophone teacher, the first one I had was nuts. He was like from another planet. He would just like, he would just kind of like look off into space while you played. And then like you would finish the thing that you had practiced, you know, for the lesson. Um, and he would just sort of look at you and go like, bah. He would just like make a weird sound or something. And you'd be like, huh, <laughs> I wonder what, wonder what that means. Yeah, it was like, he was very hard to talk to. And like, I guess somehow I learned something, but I... I don't really remember how because i remember him just making weird sounds and like my parents being kind of weirded out by him how old was he I, I would guess he was 30s 40s at that point yeah when do you kind of move away from learning instruments into writing your own stuff and using music as an expression in a much more personal way i think that was more like high school i got this little task cam porta studio like recorder thing and i think it had like four or eight tracks i forget but it was just a little digital, like, blue box. Um, and I would just start trying to make stuff on there um, with, I think, guitar mostly. I don't think I really have any of that stuff anymore, but that was around when I decided, like, oh, this is something I'm good at. Yeah, because I wanted to... Originally in my life, I had wanted to, like, become a saxophone player. That was, like, my goal. I don't know what that even means you know and like looking back on it i was like what what did i want to do <laughs> like i don't think that's a, a anything anybody can really do um unless you're extremely lucky and i don't think i was good enough at saxophone in retrospect to even 
be trying to do something like that. Like I was pretty good, um, but I wasn't amazing. And I think I was pretty good at guitar, but I wasn't, you know, I was pretty good at a lot of instruments. And I think that kind of naturally leads to writing songs versus trying to be like some virtuoso at one thing, just because you can use that pretty good ability to make like a very good song just because you kind of know how to do a bunch of things. So songwriting becomes the focus at that point, I guess. What were you thinking of when you were speaking about being a saxophone player? Were you thinking like touring musician or? Uh, I mean, that kind of happened. You became a touring musician in a different way. Yeah, definitely. And I remember I did, I went to college for like three months for a saxophone and I took lessons with a guy there. Banazak, I think was his last name. Um, and he, he was like a very talented saxophone player and he, I was kind of into like more out there types of music, you know, just like weird, uh, classical stuff and like the free jazz. And he was like super into that too. So he was excited to have a student into that. And then the band started to gain like traction online and he was like, Oh, let me hear your stuff. And I was like, eh, I don't know if you'll like this. <laughs> yeah, but I'll, I'll send it to you. And then I don't think I ever heard anything. Um, but yeah, I guess I must've wanted to, I think in my head I was like, I'm going to be a jazz saxophone player. Who can do that? Yeah, I don't know who can really make a living doing that. Um, I would have had to remain in that like academic world, I think, if I wanted to keep things jazzy. That's a weird contrast. In order to keep things jazzy, you have to be in an academic world. I guess jazz is very technical, but we do kind of think of it as this free thing to a certain extent. Yeah, but I think, I mean, it's either, you know, I guess I could be a jazz saxophonist and like work any other form of work you know to actually like earn a living and you know make money um but i feel like a lot of people um end up you know they're uh, professors or teachers or something like a school and they also you know have this body of work that they create um and that you know also serves their teaching yeah when did you start making freeform jazz records like the ones you kind of put out last year i've been kind of playing here and there on stuff with people around cleveland for the last like two maybe three years there's a lot of or not there's a lot but there's a small scene of people in cleveland who are really focused and like into like improvised music and so i played a lot with jason our drummer we're friends with a lot of those people in cleveland and so we ended up having a little like almost like free jazz trio um called iceberg with this guy john kalaji uh who makes music as high orid and we played we got into like the he was kind of in the actual like jazz scene in cleveland so he ended up opening for like some really really good actual like jazz musicians um, who came through and played at like the bop stop that's cleveland's jazz venue so we would do that and then from there yeah we just kept playing with other people we made a uh some music with this guy bob drake who's like a synth homemade synth wizard uh from cleveland he's incredible i don't really know how he does what he does but he just builds these machines <laughs> that kind of like just make awesome sounds really good drummer named jay guy he moved to indonesia for a while uh, to learn like gamelan <laughs> for a year and then came back and he's like an even better drummer now so we did some stuff with him but yeah we, that's just like a hobby <laughs> i guess how do you stop yourself slipping into patterns when you're improvising uh you just have to listen <laughs> to what other people are doing i guess um and try to you know if someone starts doing something interesting you start just playing off of them or like just listening to them for a second and just like not playing and that way, you know, you have some time to think, I guess. And also that's the, that's the fun of being in a band, even like a regular band, just playing songs. Um, even if I write all the parts and like 
disseminate them amongst the band members and say like play these parts uh there will be will be times where things accidentally change you know and that change if you're like listening to it you'll be like oh that's actually like a better direction to take this song in or like a better part that happened there you know and yeah listening is i guess an important part of my musical <laughs> process how much did this record that you just put out with cloud nothing or the record sorry that's coming out with cloud nothing change when you kind of took it into that live space and took it into the room um some of the songs changed pretty drastically actually there was the spirit of had a totally different ending to it like the first little chunk was essentially the same and then there's like a long there's just like a big ending to that song (laughs) i mean that wasn't really there in my original draft of it but i had made a part in the song and i was teaching everyone and we were kind of just playing this one part over and over and that part just sounded better to play over and over than what i had intended to come as the next part (laughs) so i kind of like rewrote the song from there and that changed what else i mean every song has little little parts that were not in like my demos or something yeah with the spirit of did it get simpler when it changed in the live room it did actually yeah like the end uh part i don't know how to describe these parts of the songs (laughs) (laughs) i guess it's just like the there's just like a long you know loud ending part so um, the climax had, of the song the climax yeah uh that had been a little more complicated and like naughty but kind of playing it in the room did simplify it a lot um and now it's just kind of like the same part repeated over and over with different dynamics rather than like changing the actual part each time it's like a mantra yeah the simpler ideas carry greater resonance do you think i think so and i think that's something i'm trying to honestly do more of is i feel like i did get away from that for a little while just trying to make the songs were getting just like complicated (laughs) um they were there was just like a lot going on in all these songs and there was just like almost too much to listen to and i like that to an extent um when it's like focused record Sorry? It's kind of quite shoegazy in that way, where everything's kind of on top of each other. Oh, whoa, yeah. Well, that was way back in the day. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what I was doing at that point. I think I was just trying to learn how to write songs. So I was just throwing everything in there that I could. Um, when I feel like a song is like the most successful version of itself is when I've kind of like boiled it down to like very basic elements. Um, that the elements themselves are still like interesting, but they're almost just like primary colors in a way where like you're just hearing like these very simple things and they just happen to work together in like a really nice interlocking way um that if you had added some other colors it might have just made like a you know a muddy terrible painting (laughs) but since you only have these three things like it just is like a really satisfying piece of work yeah do you find that when you're kind of working on songs you tend to take more stuff out than you add in as it progresses yes yeah because i'll make a guitar part that is just like insane um and i'll just like practice it over and over until i can play this like really difficult guitar part and then i'll take just like the chords from that part like the most basic like power chord um just like two notes um and that'll be my guitar part for the song and then i'll take like the kind of complicated like noodly stuff i was doing on top of it and that'll be the other guitar part for the song. So just even just separating those two things, and even just in headphones, like separating those two things into different stereo like channels, like ones on the left and ones on the right, it makes the song immediately more listenable um, and like easy to follow along with, rather than having one guitar just like 
doing all this stuff, which is cool. Um, but in the context of like a greater song, it helps to like split up these uh, different elements into you know different frequencies and different uh, channels. I guess yeah. Is like decluttering the mix in that way that you're speaking about there? Is that almost like a natural part of the maturing as a songwriter? maturing process i think so yeah because there was there was a record we did where we were kind of forced into being a three-piece um for this album here and nowhere else so i had to like play guitar like that and i think the record following it we brought on another guitarist again so there were four people in the band again but i still had my mind on this like i gotta play this complicated part um that has several melodies within like one guitar part um like i'm playing like two or three things at once and that wasn't necessary, um, I don't think. Uh, so I spent a couple records, honestly, probably trying to like pare that down back to uh, basics in a way. And I feel like that's like the always the goal now for me is like I'll write something and be like, "This is good, but there's a little too much going on," you know. And I'll try to simplify it. And it's funny because I, I mean, I live with my girlfriend, and she also makes music. Her name's Sadie. She does like Sad 13 and Speedy Ortiz. She makes things complicated and likes it that way. <laughs> so whenever I'm like upstairs and I'm like, I've changed the song to being like, it's just two chords. She'll be like, what? <laughs> yeah, like, how, what do you, how is that a song? Yeah. So I, I'm the polar opposite of her in that way. Yeah. Does the jazz stuff you do tend to be more complicated? That stuff is, I mean, who knows uh, what any of that stuff is like. Is it almost scratching the complicated itch? Possibly. Yeah. It's scratching like the... There's like a improv itch <laughs> that I get every once in a while where even just listening to music, like I don't want to listen to stuff like that all the time. Um, but there are moments where it makes sense to to me to listen to four people just like playing, you know, nonsense in a room together. Um, it makes sense at that time. And sometimes I want to do that. And I used to kind of throw that more into Cloud Nothing songs uh, where there would be long periods of it was a little it was planned out to an extent um but there were elements of just like let's just see how this goes uh you know and having that in like a 10 minute song or something you know and six or seven minutes of it is just this noise experiment um on top of a pop song for whatever reason um but i kind of started paring that down um <laughs> so that's like almost just part of the songs now so it's happening simultaneously with the song rather than having just like and stop the song here's the noise part song comes back uh i kind of got sick of that format so when i'm in the mood for that stuff i think it does help to have this uh uh little improv outlet yeah why did you get tired of that format i think to keep it interesting we would have to keep changing who was in the band there's certain rhythms and things we can lock into throughout the course of a tour especially where the noisy part of a song will almost be written in a way like we'll have done it so many times that like we'll be like oh this is how it goes now like it's it sounds crazy but we like have a it follows a structure (laughs) to us in a way where like it's not changing every night anymore to make those interesting we would have to be like all right i'm not playing guitar on this song like here's our friend's gonna play on this one you know it'd have to like essentially change the band um in a way that I don't think I want to do with this band to keep those parts uh, fresh and rather than just like repeating themselves over and over. Uh, so I kind of just started making the songs shorter. <laughs> yeah. In order to keep it fresh, you change the actual structure of the songs instead of changing the components that go into it. Yeah. Cause like, I know how we all play and I, I mean, not that we're only capable of like certain things, but there's just ways that we play together um, that are kind of just natural and, 
to be able to go outside of that box is difficult and maybe wouldn't be as good in a way as the things that we've kind of learned how to do over time. So yeah, I feel like that stuff is sort of like set in stone and rather than trying to do something, you know, bad, <laughs> we might as well just yeah keep things shorter. The final song on the record, The Room It Was, as well. Was that written about you going back into the same studio you've been in the first time? Uh, not quite so literally, <laughs> but yeah, it's the same same idea, same concept as basically the, the whole record in a way, yeah. Yeah, this idea about revisiting the past, but kind of in a different way to what you've done before. Do you, do you think there's more hope in this record than on previous ones? I think so, yeah, or I mean, I... I hope so. Honestly, it would be. I don't know if I'm setting an example for anyone, but I would. I don't think I am. Um, but I. I wouldn't want to be the person who uh, is just sad their whole life and just writes these mopey songs. Um, you know, I think there is uh, an element of comfort um, in these songs, and maybe a little more like warmth um, to the music itself, and also just like the messaging behind it all, um, where it's less like a everything is bad <laughs> and more like a you know even if everything is bad you can find these little uh pockets of you know something hopeful and you know something to look forward to within those uh within the nightmare yeah <laughs> when do you kind of first get that clarity where you notice the record is going in a slightly more hopeful direction you can kind of see it as a whole thematically in that way when it's done <laughs> and i like go listen to it I'm like, oh, that's why, that must be why all these songs like came around at the same time and all have like similar themes or something, you know, that just must be what I was feeling. Yeah. Cause I don't, I'm pretty bad at like day to day thinking about my life. <laughs> I try to just like keep busy so I don't have to do that. Yeah. Once I make the record, it's nice for me to actually go back and have this document of a thing um, that I was almost unconsciously or subconsciously uh, making to represent what I was feeling or thinking about any any given time and to go back and look at it and be like, I guess I was happier <laughs> when I was making this record. Yeah, it's more of just like once I made the thing, that's when I can look at it and say like, that's what it is. Yeah, during the during the process, it's just a, a mess. I'm not sure what's going on. Does that then kind of go on to inform what you write afterwards? Does each record like serve as a stepping stone from one to the next or is it a completely fresh slate each time? I think just by virtue of me having made all these things, they do kind of lead almost like a, you know, a long story or whatever um, to, you know, whatever the most recent record is, is generally a good example of like probably what I am thinking about currently <laughs> or like what's on my mind at the time or just like the the music I like at any given time. Yeah. It's uh yeah, they're all pretty representative of, I guess my reality at whatever time they came out. The room it was as well, they were saying it kind of is indicative of the record being slightly more hopeful in some ways. It does still kind of maintain that existential edge that we've kind of seen as a through line in a lot of your songwriting. You know, you were saying a little bit earlier that you sometimes struggle with the day to day. Is it kind of because of that? Can you switch that existential thing off or is it kind of just running all the time? It's just running all the time because like, how can it not be? Um, you know, it's impossible to go through life and just be like, yay <laughs> yeah i'm alive you know it's like wait but why yeah what what am i doing you know that's more what i think of. maybe there's people who are just loving every minute you know and more power to them um but i am mired in my own brain uh for the most part so it's hard for me to get out of there um and just you know 
there's times obviously where I am enjoying things, <laughs> but it's not, it's not a constant state. Um, and I'm, I'm always like having trouble just, you know, seeing something for what it is. I have to like think of all these other, you know, views and things that I could think about anything, you know, it's hard for me to just focus on one thing at a time. So yeah, that, that is a through line that I, I don't know if it'll be around my whole life, but we'll see. <laughs> Do you think it's partly what fuels you to make music as well, though? I think so, yeah, because there's, you know, there's not much else I can do to ask these questions. <laughs> I don't, I'm not a great, just like, writer of the words or something, you know, and I don't, I don't have, the way I would want to express these things is artistically, I guess, um, and making these songs and things is a good way for me to do that. Um, so rather than just hold on to these dark thoughts <laughs> and just, you know, not talk about them or do anything with them. It does help to kind of put them out in the world. And, you know, you see that like, oh, lots of people like think about these things and, you know, feel this way. And obviously I've known that for a while now. Um, you know, when you're like a little kid, you think like you're the only one. Um, but every time you put out a record, you know, people relate to it in a way. And that's, it's not nice that people feel that way, but it's nice to know that there's a community of people who can, you know, find comfort in knowing that they're not the only people feeling that way. At what age did you kind of first start to notice your mind move in that direction? You know, shifting from childhood innocence, for lack of a better word, to kind of pondering the bigger questions. I don't remember not doing that. <laughs> um, as far as I remember back, I was always kind of uh, just thinking about things in the the greater scheme <laughs> yeah rather you know it was always weird to me that that people weren't able to do that so i was always kind of attracted to or uh you know just like i was into hanging out with people who were older than me um and i always wanted to be accepted by people who were older than me in a way just because i felt like they had a better understanding or something of like you know where my mind was at the time as a little kid um so i would always be um even in high school i found like the a grouping of musicians in Cleveland who were, you know, significantly older than me, like 10 years older than me or something at the time, which felt significant at the time, I guess I should say. It's a big gap at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And that's who I was hanging out with, you know, after school, <laughs> you know, these people who played in like local bands and they were just, you know, people from Cleveland. <laughs> um, but it felt to me like they were like these people who had like, you know, they'd figure things out and they were, you know, on my wavelength at the time, which is very funny because they probably looked at me and they were like, who is this kid? <laughs> but that is, I mean, that's how I met TJ who plays in the band. So good things came from it. Is he yeah. 10 years older than you? Uh, Just about. I think he's maybe eight years older than me. Eight or nine. Interesting. Do you recall your first impression of him? I don't really know the very first time I met him because I think the whole reason I ended up meeting these people is because I played in a battle of the bands um, in high school with like a band I was in. It was just me and this drummer, Perry, um, and our band was called Ponyta, like the Pokemon. And we played this like battle of the bands where every other band was just like, like Creed garbage um and we were trying to sound like no age i think and who knows what we actually sounded like i have no idea but uh one of these people this guy eric schulte was like judging the battle of the bands and i guess he really liked ponyta and he was like best friends with tj at the time so he must have introduced me to tj and tj's just a nice guy <laughs> so i probably just thought he was a nice guy <laughs> yeah how does sound of alarm kind of tie into what we've just been speaking about in terms of the more existential side to the lyricism and this, this kind of realization you have in it 
of that you need to make time for yourself, what does that kind of come out of? And is it linked into the, the kind of broader questions you're asking? Um, I think so. Yeah. Cause I guess that one is also kind of about feeling like, uh, there's like lines in there about, you know, feeling like you're a, a liar or something like that. Don't even remember the exact words, honestly. Yeah. That whole thing kind of just ties into like, if you don't actually just take time to slow down um, and just kind of like, you know, see things as they are, um, and not, you know, get stuck in your, you know, repetitive thought cycle. Like you can just like stop and like take a walk, you know, and like look at a tree and be like, nice tree. Yeah. Rather than think like, how did that tree get here? Oh no. <laughs> you know, you don't want to go down that road. Um, so yeah, it's, I, you know, some of the songs on the record are also about that, you know, just being able to like kind of take the edge off for a second and just be able to stop and feel something nice, <laughs> you know, take, I guess, take time for me as it were kind of foretells the pandemic in a word way that was the other thing i wanted to do yeah i wanted to uh foretell the pandemic <laughs> yeah i knew it was coming i knew i saw the news i saw wuhan i was ready i bought a can of beans <laughs> i mean you say that but when you listen to the record in the context of what's happened over the last year a lot of it does kind of line up in a word way even though you know we're speaking about also earlier the world i've known has gone away there's a lot of stuff you can kind of pluck out and apply to what's happened recently it's weird that it's coming out at this time. It is. But something else I've noticed in the last, like, I guess, almost whole year at this point, there's pandemic stuff in a lot of things, like things you wouldn't even think about, like just like, you know, like family sitcoms and stuff. There'll be like a line where they'll just be like talking about a pandemic suddenly. And you'll be like, what? <laughs> you know, like I never would have noticed this or thought about this before, but it's, I think it's a human fixation um, to be like, you know, the for some reason pandemics were something people actually thought about and talked about a lot but nobody realized it until like oh this one's happening and it has been funny or not you know funny um but it's been interesting to notice how much old stuff there is that like mentions these things or like books that were about i i read a book right before all this called uh what's it called is it called intolerance i'm gonna look this book up actually because it was really good and i want to when was this book written? I think it was 2019. It has a pink cover. I, I, I have it downstairs. There is a pandemic <laughs> that people turn into essentially like a, a zombie sort of creature that isn't dangerous, it doesn't seem like, but they just sort of like stop functioning, you know, and they just like do like one repetitive task over and over and you have to kill them basically or else they can turn you into that it's like zombie deer disease um, yeah yeah when it's wasting away the brain and you kind of just see the zombie deers oh, I know what you're talking about too I don't know too much pandemic stuff chronic wasting disease chronic wasting disease nice severance severance is the name of the book <laughs> we got them both there <laughs> yeah severance by Ling Ma um, good book pandemic though 2018 it came out okay but yeah, it describes a pandemic and it's funny because it's it's just like this girl works in like an office in New York and every day like there'll be more like out of office messages being like, I, I'm not at work, you know, I'm a, I have to stay home or like, you know, the person is obviously has turned into like the zombie creature and it is similar <laughs> to how things played out here. So it's just funny that I would have read it like literally right before this started, um, you know, and then kept seeing through lines and other stuff but anyway i don't know what we're talking do about. do you notice that when you look back at your work as well will you kind of see through lines with the albums kind of almost speaking to each other and linking up in weird ways sort of yeah um because i mean i think i've always had like a 
I've always had some sort of negative view of the world. Um, and those different views do kind of interact on their records. You know, it's not the most like positive thing. Definitely uh, things that run through every record. Yeah, I think nihilist bedroom pop was one of the phrases I saw got mentioned when you first came out. <laughs> that is, yeah, I would say that still holds true. Minus the bedroom at this point actually yes we're back to bedroom pop so yeah. would you say you're still a nihilist no, no i don't think i was ever a nihilist but i like that phrase in that way <laughs> yeah nihilist bedroom pop is just a funny genre <laughs> yeah it sounds like someone at a family guy almost yeah <laughs> i mean when it comes to looking back on those earlier records you because you're re-releasing or you're putting out a 10th anniversary edition of the self-titled one right soon oh, of turning yeah. on yeah Okay, so the the first record, not the self-titled. No, the self-titled still is what it is. Yeah, but we're reissuing Turning On, uh, I think at the end of this month. Nice. Are you doing a vinyl release and stuff for that? Yeah, we're just doing like a limited vinyl. It's going to look exactly like... There was a CD version that was the original version of this. So it's like a little CDR um, that came in like a little handmade you know, paper thing. Um, so we recreated that for the vinyl version. So it's like a pasted on looking cover that looks just like the old cdr one and it's i i can't remember if we added extra stuff to it i think there's some extra songs on there a couple little like live things and stuff that weren't on the original one i mean when this when that record came out in the kind of shape of the music industry were people still buying records at that point and kind of cds and digital downloads had streaming really come in or begun i don't think streaming was a big thing at all or at least i wasn't doing it but yeah this was just like a little or a pretty small um kind of tape label called bridgetown uh bridgetown records in california somewhere um this guy kevin greenspawn ran it and he just like found me on myspace and was like hey i'll put out a tape for you if you have like eight songs i was like okay (laughs) so i made eight songs real quick and sent them to him and that was it yeah what is what's the band camp you've kind of got a band camp record club now right you're running too we have a, there's a massive amount of things available to the fans of the band on Bandcamp. Yeah, we have an insane amount of stuff up there. We have every month we put out an EP now. We were doing things where like if you pre-ordered certain records, you're getting like a CD that uh, one of us like burned that has like old, you know, songs you'll never find anywhere. Little Cloud Nothing's demos and like rare one-off songs and stuff. Oh, uh, there's two full records at this point that have come out for people who like subscribe to the band camp. There's lots of stuff up there. We have like 30 live albums that we put up in April. So there's a lot of stuff up there. It's almost like Netflix, but for cloud nothings. Yep. Yeah. And I think Netflix is getting pretty bad. I think we're a better subscription service at this point. <laughs> You've got more stuff that's worth checking out. I think so. Yeah. Do you really need to watch Bridgerton? I don't think you need to watch Bridgerton. <laughs> you need to get our EP <laughs> yeah, right now. Do you think, uh, do you think quality, the whole kind of quality quantity argument is a bit of a myth then? Do you think people kind of just have different output rates if you're able to put out, you know, an EP a month? I think I just have, I write the types of songs that, for me at least, I can do it in a day and make a thing I'm pretty happy with, you know? And I think there's some people who write stuff that they can write something in a day um, and it probably is good, um, but for them to really be comfortable with it, they have to take that extra time, you know, and that's, yeah, I think that just is how it is uh, for some people. And that's totally fine, you know? And honestly, if I were to write every day for a year or something, I could look back at it and be like, these are like the best songs. These are the songs that aren't quite as good. These are, you know, there's going to be layers of quality to the work no matter what, because you can't make the best thing ever every day. 
yeah, even just like this thing, like the EPs we put out are, they're good and I'm happy with them. But, you know, I think in a normal world where I wasn't kind of forced into doing this, <laughs> if I wanted to keep the band going, um, I think I would be taking a little more time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're able to keep the quality up uh, working at this pace still. Do you feel like you're lucky that you're able to work that way, given the current climate and the way that we seem to listen to and consume music? Yeah, I almost feel like you have to especially for us who have like chosen to kind of make this band our jobs essentially for the last 10 or so years if we want to keep doing that with touring totally off the table that was where we made money you know um that was the only way we could have afforded to make this our job um and when you eliminate that the only thing you can do is just make music <laughs> and hope people are willing to you know spend some amount of money on it and that will be that yeah Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.